Mark Tui joins us, advisor to business and political leaders and a guy who spent some time at Toronto City Hall, which informs our first couple of stories. Good morning, Mark Tui. Good morning, John Moore. Okay, so Mitzi Hunter is in and there's the added jeopardy. Other people don't lose their job or have to resign their job in order to run, but Mitzi Hunter does. She's going to have to quit as an MPP, but she says she's in. Yeah, interesting, and uh, you know, good for her for uh, making that commitment. Mitzi Hunter's an interesting candidate. Uh, you know, she presents extremely well, but she's somebody who has consistently failed upward uh, from her time as uh, the uh, not the chair, but I guess the president, the CEO of uh, Civic Action, which is a, a public uh, advocacy group in Toronto, which is more civic than action. They haven't really ever done anything except hosted a bunch of meetings, then becoming uh, an MPP. Uh, now she wants to be the mayor of Toronto. I, I really wish that we, I hope that we will choose somebody as our next mayor who's had some experience actually delivering on a number of complicated files. And as much as there are very high profile people running in this campaign, I'm not so sure there's very many people who've had the kind of experience it would be nice to see in our next chief magistrate. It's interesting, that observation actually, Mark, because I look at these candidates and they have accomplished many things, but I think all of them are about 75% qualified fight for the job. Yeah, and there's a, a number of them who have done, frankly, not great work at some of the things that they've done in the past, but they've become high profile, and that is the first sort of checkbox when you're running in a political race, is people have to know who you are. We're in a situation now where we've got probably 10 to a dozen well-known people who probably would be solid B or C list uh, candidates in a normal circumstance. Uh, none of them will fall out, usually during a long, extended mayoral campaign in Toronto, a bunch of them will quit because they don't have the money, they'll throw their weight to somebody else, and ultimately, councillors who choose to run for mayor typically pull out at the last minute because they know they can't run, so they'll save their seat as a councillor. None of those seats are in jeopardy, so none of them are going to pull out, so we could have a case where, you know, if they split the vote 10 ways, you could only need 11% to win. Toronto's deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, is warning of coming service cuts. And it's funny, I got a waggish text earlier in the show where I observed that this may even lead us to not repairing the roads. And somebody said, what stopped us from repairing the roads before? <laughs> yeah, it's like, how, and how would that be different from today? One yeah. wonders. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, well, there's a couple of things. One is sort of a picayune uh, little definition issue. At the city of uh, Toronto, the word service is literally defined in the budget uh, documents as a unit of spending, a unit of labor. And so anytime you're going to reduce spending, it is de facto a service cut. So what I, you know, I wonder what she's talking about. Am I going to see a difference or are they just going to spend less? But in this case, the city of Toronto, I will argue, till the cows come home, has a spending problem still not a revenue problem but what it does have on the spending side that makes it very difficult is it has been forced to do a number of things that are not its job and it would be i think what we're going to see is a situation once again where the mayor of toronto is going to have to go mano a mano with the provincial government to sort of say public health uh mental health refugees all of these things are not 
municipal issues, daycare. They should not be paid on the backs of property taxpayers. They should be paid by income taxpayers. And I don't think the city should have the right to raise income taxes. I think those things which are already 80% paid by the province should go back to be 100% paid by the province. Like, Why do property taxpayers pay for ambulance services? That's clearly a health problem or a health service. It should be paid by the province, which is responsible for health services. All right. I feel like I'm going to give you some homework. I'd love for you to make a list of all of the things that the city should not have to pay for or the things that we could cancel and not notice. I think I have that list already and I'd be happy to send it to you. <laughs> all right. Well, I did read your book. Uh, growing calls for cell phone service in Toronto subway. I wouldn't call it a catch-22. It's just an oddball situation where one cell phone provider was granted the license to provide cell phone service. All the other providers would have to pay them for access and they have declined to do so. Yeah. Yeah, almost correct. I was in the mayor's office uh, in 2012 when this deal was signed. We were briefed on it. The mayor had to sign off on it. Uh, there was a, a consortium bid by all the big telcos, Bell, Rogers, Telus, to go in and put in their wires, but they all wanted their own stuff for their own systems. And the problem is, as you can imagine, the real estate in a subway tunnel is very limited, and you can't have people traipsing through there every day at all hours of the day to repair every different company's cell phone stuff. So the winning bid was a small Australian-based company, a Canadian arm of that, that said, look, we'll go in and and we'll put in sort of white labeled uh, equipment that anybody then can use for their cell phone service. The big companies didn't want to do that because they didn't want any of their smaller competitors in there. Uh, it was entirely sort of a competitive play. And uh, But the CTC said, no, we're going to go with this thing because it makes sense. We'll have one sort of repeater box. We'll have one node. We'll have one set of wires. Everybody can tap into it at either end. But uh, And so they did that. It seemed like it made sense at the time. BAI didn't have a cell phone company. They were just a provider of technology. They do the same thing in major cities like New York all the time, and it works great. But the uh, big telephone companies, Bell, Rogers, Telus, they played hardball, and they said, great, you might have won the bid, but we're not going to tap in, so we're not going to pay you any money to access the system, and they've held out ever since. The city needs to play hardball here. The city has uh, contracts with all of those telephone service providers. The city licenses access to its infrastructure to put up uh, you know, cell phone uh, repeater antenna all over the city. Uh, the city should just turn around and say, you know what, big guys, if you're not going to play ball in the subway, we're going to add on, we're going to double the price for uh, putting up you know, repeater stations across the city, and we're not going to provide uh, you with any of our contracts anymore. Ooh, okay, that would be hardball. Elon Musk and a bunch of other people in tech are calling for a pause in the race to AI. This, for me, Mark, reminds me of that moment that always happens in a disaster movie where somebody says, you know, we've got to stop this dance competition or someone's going to die, and the mayor <laughs> says, this is too important for business. <laughs> yeah, it's too big to fail. Uh, this is not the first call that we've heard for this. This one seems like it's unlikely to go anywhere because it's just it's a bunch of people within the industry calling for all of their competitors to pause and you know it's kind of the prisoner's dilemma but uh, even Stephen Hawking you know before he passed away said this is a big problem and it is going to be the end of humanity so uh, he was a reasonably smart guy. I think uh, I don't know what the answer is but uh, there are some legitimate uh, existential questions that need to be answered and perhaps this is a role for some form 
form of government intervention. But, you know, that's certainly an equation to make it worse, I think, not better, getting the government involved. Okay, and one last item. The U.S. Senate has vote, voted to repeal war authorization it gave 20 years ago to invade Iraq. I can't think of a more flaccid, empty, and frankly, duplicitous gesture. Uh, actually, no. This one makes a difference in today's uh, world. It's those authorizations that were created 20 years ago that allow the executive uh, uh, branch of the U.S. government to continue military operations in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and around the world. So those authorities were created back in the day to launch wars. They, they're still on the books, and that's the authority under which American military forces are still in Syria and Iraq uh, today. So they're trying to clean this up and force the authority to uh, they don't want the president and the military to be able to do this on their own anymore. They want it to go back to Congress if they're going to continue military operations there. Uh, I see the point. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Take care. And uh, yeah, that's Mark Tuohy, former advisor to, well, he was the former chief of staff at City Hall. He was also chief editor at the Sun Enterprise and now a frequent pundit here and sometimes show host. When it comes to the invasion of Iraq, I often think that somebody, you know, the people got to wear it like a red letter. Because there were those of us who recognized back then that the case had been ginned up or invented from whole cloth. And then the rest of us said that we were just cowards and uh, quislings. 